When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Dave Dargashansha, a falcher, come with a folklore. Foot crawler, a quid headstuff, fui, galga, fuckle, fuckle galga, agus fuckle, o erin. Anwa is Misha Uskro Kira Agus to Ahas and Down and Revenge in your lots of time to reach Aishtle and Majin Podcrafty that many podcasts from this room. It's finally an honor to be in the room. You know, we have we make some pretty good shows in here. A lot of magic happens in this studio. And I get to listen to it on the bus on the way home and I love it and I'm very grateful. Excellent. Oscar, you are so you're so very welcome today. Um, our regular listeners will no doubt be very familiar with uh, Pader, Pader Kivonik, who is one of our most one of our most popular contributors. Not that they're all, all equally popular, but um, Pader famously is one half of the Papa Celtic team, and yeah. Oscar's the other half. I'm the other half, the uh, the, the 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 lesser spotted half, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm quite conscious of how learned Pader comes across. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he really is that learned, but like he certainly comes across as very learned. So I hope I. Can, uh, I can provide some subject matter expertise in some subject. Well, you know, I think uh, great duos, you know, they often bring different qualities to mm-hmm. and to the duo itself. The kind of you've got your Rogers and your Hammersteins and you've got your Lennons and McCartneys and you even got your Bonos and Edges. So are you the edge in this one situation? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, I'm certainly losing my hair, so I, I will be wearing a hat anyway. But uh, the, um, no, yeah, myself and Pather, we get on very well, as you would imagine, but we don't get on 100% because then nothing would happen. Mm-hmm. So very often, Pather will get a text message off me with like, Cora and Kainz or whatever, and he'd be like, Gleich. And um, he will he'll say affirmative or negative, and then I'll ring him up, and then I'll bend his ear for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, and then he has to distill some kind of sense out of what I've said. Mm. And uh, very often it's to do with pop-up, or it's to do with um, some reaction to something that was said in the paper or tweeted or, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, no, there's, there's, there's creative conflict there between us, like, and it's, it's good. Well, that's fantastic. I think it's often a great way. I mean, we like um, I even making this podcast. We often, myself and the gang, do be hammering out ideas. And I've often been told, Derek, don't ever invite that person on." <laughs> 
I'll, me? I'll, I'll stop trying to... <laughs> no, not you, not you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, um, I, I, I briefly entertained the notion, and this may have been after one or two too many glasses of, um, of red breast, uh, that I got into the notion, why don't I invite one of those people who've written one of those mean articles with Irish on here to let them talk their case? And I thought, you know what? They already have the entire mainstream media, MSM. They do, they no, do. I'm and sorry for saying mainstream media. And 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 in a way, you know, it, it's okay that they're over there, and we don't ne- like. I mean, you don't necessarily have to engage face to face. Pop up itself was a reaction to one of those articles. It was a rea- mm-hmm. and and had we maybe gotten a chance to have or uh, right of reply or even to put a comment or whatever, like then then maybe pop up would have never happened. So it's good to use those negative things and to turn them into positives. Yeah. Uh, and I think pop up was a great example of that. I think so, and it, it has been one of the runaway successes of the um, Irish language, I guess, in the recent years. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that reconnects people, particularly it shows something that can happen in, in the area of social media. So your thing, Public Geltucht, and my thing, the Irish Four, and this podcast, they're both things that probably could not have emanated from the from the state, from the Department of the, Gel- the Geltucht or Department of Education. Uh, certainly, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like I, I, I think that um, the fact that you discuss uh, the Irish language and words and words from Ireland all through uh, through English is a is a challenge to the uh, to the orthodoxy of 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 how you disseminate a minority language or, or mm-hmm. you know like the idea is that you prove you exist by existing and be, by being visible and pop up does that to some extent pop up uh shows people who are out and about in Dublin look this there is a critical mass of 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 people speaking Irish here there or everywhere and it it allows or it maybe challenges some of their perceptions but they still don't understand what we're saying whereas yeah. mother folklore provides that that other the intermediary where it not only says look this all this exists it also gives a window into that world that might not be uh, as visible to somebody who, who who cannot or who does not have a grasp of the language and i think both of those are at the other end of what the state has been doing mm-hmm. uh, to date and and whether a state would ever be able to have a drinking session organized for a minority language. I don't know if it could. I, you yeah, know, I, mean, I think it's a stretch too far for them. Like, but I think that I'm. I suppose just from knowing how these things tend to work. If say the minister for education was being asked how much drink was consumed or poured at a public Geltucht, and if a fire fire safety announcement had been read up beforehand, <laughs> and similarly, if somebody was was like was basically inquiring as to you know the amount of kind of the costs and things involved in, in. Who's, what resources have been allocated to something like the, the Irish Four, and who's fact checking it, and but those things? I think if I think possibly the being being free of the, I think that we expect a certain amount, rightly, from state mm-hmm. enterprises, and sometimes that's not necessarily the best environment for creativity. The name of the podcast is Mother Folklore. Yeah, that's your and 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 and. Uh, you know, I I, you, I I listened to the mailbag episode a couple of weeks, you know, and people giving out about you swearing. The thing's called mother folklore. <laughs> so, and and the the very fact that it's called mother folklore, it, it you couldn't a state organize. You'd, you'd never be able to get away with that. Maybe rightly so or whatever. But it, it is in those niches what the state cannot do. 
yeah. a living language should be pouring into those niches and crevices. And I think that that's what Mother Folklore and Pop-Up Gaeltacht are doing. I, I think it would be, un, although I do enjoy uh, criticizing the state, and I do it quite often, I don't think this is something I can necessarily criticize them for. Yeah. They can create an infrastructure to some extent, and then we fill in the gaps. And I think Mother Folklore and Pop-Up Gaeltacht are an example of are examples of successful gap filling. No, well, we all enjoy a little bit of gap filling. <laughs> <laughs> Mind the gap. Uh, yeah, no. So I don't think I don't think the state could have done it, uh, and 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 you don't want the state. I don't want the state organising my drinking. That's yeah. I think it, you'd you'd like to think that the piss ups and breweries. Um, it shouldn't be difficult things to organize no. and you know and you'd be surprised i'm trying to organize one in a brewery at the moment and it's not like uh, it's not working out quite as we expected more on that later <laughs> more on that later <laughs> the reason i suppose i bring up the um level of state engagement is mm. that obviously um we've gone out and done our things on our own i have uh, been published in the united kingdom and you've you have had well, public celtics em- happen in new york city shanghai mm-hmm. further afield and a big thing is sometimes that there is a impression, sometimes circulated, sometimes in good faith and sometimes not, that the Irish language is somehow, while the state is a, is a custodian to the Irish language, it is what the fact that the, is, that the Irish language is dependent on the state or that it only exists or that the, and perhaps more sinisterly, that there is an Irish language gravy train. If, Here in Rudd Gravy. If if Mata, I'd like to be honest, uh, mm-hmm. but not no not 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 to my knowledge. If, if there is, they've they've hidden it deep underground. Um, the there are there is no question that there's a, a percentage of people that there's a percentage of Irish speakers who do find employment in the, with the state via mm. uh, via education via translation. Um, but I don't think that that necessarily points to a gravy train. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I know when I go to pop up and like, which would be fairly representative of, of people in Dublin who have money to spend or whatever, you don't see great displays of wealth. You don't, I mean, it's normal people there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, we can get into uh, back and forth about what constitutes a normal person. But <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't believe that there's a gravy train there. I think that that's an easy, it's an easy trope. It's one I've heard before when I go home to my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go home to my wife uh, after after pop-up, I, I, I certainly don't feel that I've made a lot of money. <laughs> I haven't made any money. <laughs> she kind of questions what I, you know, do with the Irish language from time to time because it doesn't seem to bring home any bacon uh, it's my my english speaking job that but oscar you're bacon. clocking up hashtag experience and hashtag exposure hashtag experience yeah hashtags don't pay rent um unfortunately maybe they will in the future but at the moment no at the moment there's you know the, the irish language stuff that i do i do just because that is the language that raised in thinking whatever else you want to call it uh but i certainly don't do it for the money. It'd be nice if an opportunity came in the future to do it for the money. That would be, that would be good. But um, I, so I mean, oh. this is the, I suppose. I think one of the things that's made pop up wonderful is this kind of is that there are, are they were rotating venues. There's mm-hmm. an occasion that's coming up. That the but that same fact is there are people who turn up to these very willingly. They get very large numbers. Yeah. At these events and like, do you think we're far from maybe having? 
an Irish language bar in the city centre? Um, we have an Irish language bar in the city centre at the moment, Club O'Connor in, in Harcourt Street. Oh, well, I've, I've, <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, yeah, so I've, I've, I've barely darkened the door of a pub yeah. in, ever since my child, my daughter's been born. I'll, I'll, yeah, no, it's like in the Irish language club on Harcourt Street, it's, it's a club, it's a private members club and it's, it's one that I spent many happy hours in and hope to spend many happy hours in the future, but like pop-up indicates or shows that that the Irish language community aren't homogenous in so much as that they want to spend uh, time in one particular place listening to one particular type of music. Mm. So does the success depend on, um, or does the, the, the numbers of people com- coming to pop-up depend on the fact that we're going to different places each time? Could you locate that in one place? Would that be a different type of custom? Absolutely. I think you... Like the fact that we get five hundred people to go to a pub once a month does not indicate you're going to get five hundred people every night of the you know yeah so you there's there I'm sure that there's a market for um for a bar that would cater for those let's say like we've had I, I reckon between five and six thousand people have attended pop ups mm-hmm. in Dublin yeah um I reckon that the, a bar that catered for those people would. In, would would attract those people, but I think in general, you know your 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 census results, um, the the surveys that Conan O'Gailge do every year indicate that there's a level of interest in experiencing stuff through Irish, not necessarily a learning experience, mm-hmm. but just they want to play with the language. The 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 amount of people who've read Mother Folklore, the amount of people who follow the Irish for it all points to the same thing. It points to a latent interest that's not necessarily to the level of learning or, you know, learning Mm -hmm. the language, but that they want to experience it and they want to experience things through it in a playful, fun, non-threatening, non-shameful kind of way. And more so, I think that today when, you know, identity is so important to people, uh, I think that there's a a group of people or that there's a a constituency of people, uh, constituency is the wrong word, Mm -hmm. that there's a, there's a, that there's a market for a new idea of what an Irish pub is supposed to be. Yes. And that this idea of what an Irish pub is, people have this very, very fixed idea uh, that it has to have shamrocks and bud and Guinness and whatever else, and that the Irish language actually gives you an anchor to maintain the authenticity of an Irish pub, but that you can put different things in and still be Irish. My friend Naomi O'Leary who presents the Irish Passport podcast. They did a brilliant episode on the Irish pub as the global brand and how effectively it was developed and how you can essentially get a build your own Irish pub pack Mm -hmm. and uh, like like a franchise, much like an Abercrombie or McDonald's, but how it worked out and how this brand was, was so successful around the world. And one of the strange things that people maybe here don't get that seems to be huge in the UK is that a bicycle in the window. A bicycle in the window. It, As it, indicating that it's an Irish bar. And uh, what, is that some kind of heuristic for, for being parochial, for being local, for being... I, I'm i not sure if it's a Flann O'Brien reference yeah. or if it's a reference to the fact that maybe you had literally a, bit, a village bicycle. Yeah. In, this is something that, that older Irish emig- emigrants remember from their hometown or if it's just something that somebody had once and it was assumed to be a thing. But it was just... I remember, I remember hearing about this. It was like hearing about the, pur- the purple moons and 
um, print green. You often hear Americans, and I'm not sure if this is from the Lucky Charms ad. Something mm. you know, be be me purple moons and ah, okay. And I was like, what? Well, nobody, nobody here knows what you're talking about when you're talking about purple moons. Oh, and yeah. See the the. Uh... The idea, like the idea mm. of having, say, for example, like an Irish bar in New York, yeah, uh, or anywhere where the diaspora have gone, that you could have a bar that has its DNA based kind of on the Irish language to some extent, that you could have menus half in Irish, that you could be playful with, yeah. with words on menus. Um, I think that there's, I think there's an awful lot more potential. Uh, to use the Irish language uh, to brand things and to localize things. If you look at what Vodafone did with their Vodafone ad for the for the Gaeltacht, yeah, um, which is a great ad on many levels, and I'm actually, uh, you know, despite myself, quite fond of it. Um, <laughs> and then you, it's better than the French one. Better than the French one. It is. And I'll tell you why it's better than the French one, because I think it speaks to us in a way that the French one doesn't. Yeah, I think the French one, it has a postmodern feel and that it relates mm. to all those Kerrygold ads from the 80s. It's exactly like a Kerrygold ad from the 80s. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Whereas the other one, the other, the Gaeltacht the, the, the one, the Gaeltacht one takes a global brand like Vodafone and localizes it mm. very, very well. Dulls that, you know, the... The, the no like nobody likes brands anymore like brands are mm -hmm. you know so the, this this obviously Vodafone aren't going to dump their brands because they've spent too much money on it but by doing something like this they can they can soften that they can localize it and they can make people and they, they can make people think about a brand in a different way McDonald's have done this they have the McMore yeah you have Kia have done it with Baila Aha Kia yeah um, and all of those are all of those are big international companies seeing something that maybe we don't see. This is a thing. And it's something I've often wondered that you often get an outsider's eye. The fact that, say, the Western is the, considered to be the definitive American art form or film mm -hmm. genre. And it, um, the great Westerns are almost always made by immigrants mm -hmm. who who came and saw America differently than people who grew up there all the time. And while people talk about, oh, this, you know, that John Ford and Sergio Leone, they kind of, they've reprimanticized the West in a certain way that they were kind of talking about back home yeah. and using the using the kind of the West as a stand-in for the, the place they lost. And I, I, it's something that always really fascinated me that The Quiet Man was as um, was just as unrealistic as all of John Ford's Westerns as a representation of a small town. Well, like, obviously never having first-hand experience of a, of a, a Western era, like, kind oh. of town. I, I like. But, like, I can imagine that... Uh, I can imagine that the outsider usually has a better macro view than the insider. Yeah. Uh, and I think that when you look at what these companies are doing, they have a macro view of our identity that maybe we should be at least paying attention to. Yeah, um, I think so. And something that I've, I was just talking about recently, I did a headstuff lecture and we we're and this, this, there was a context uh, of the, I think the, it must have been the 20th anniversary of Father Ted or or maybe more. Uh, they're talking about the idea of this very, the, the Irish people, certainly in, in the in the post-Father Ted era, um, love jokes that they don't think anyone else can get. And they love this this very kind of um, highly localized, the kind of the Barry's versus Lions kind of humor, the the immersion related humor. And especially love if that comes from someone who doesn't seem to, 
if somebody from like comes from another country and they make a remark like that they know about the immersion or they know about like what, what some of the our local slang moves and it really impresses us. And is that Maybe, something specific about us? Is that I think this is in that this doesn't seem to be the case in Denmark. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> seem to be the case in Norway. Well, if you okay. say, "Oh, I prefer these role maps to those role maps," I, I, I'm so Oslo. <laughs> Like I don't think I go. <laughs> That's this, this seems to be a very Irish thing. I'm not sure, okay. and maybe maybe the fact maybe some of the, these larger brands have noticed this about us. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it's 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 like I think if there ever was to be a gravy train, it would be around capturing that and understanding that quite well. And funnily enough, it could be. Um, well, some might see it as exploitative. It's like, uh, or 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 commoditizing. Yeah. Um, I think it would be another string in the bow, or it would be another because, like, I mean, you can have a you can have a language that that provides succor to the soul, that 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 helps you understand the world in a certain way, or whatever. You can have all of those abstract things, but I think. Uh, it is good if the language also earns you money. Yes. And there's a the thing, and money, obviously, nobody really likes talking about money and these things, but at the same time, I think we are we are 10 years into, I suppose, a recession. While we have, we seem to, there seems to be a recovery in property prices, that doesn't actually help people who can't afford those houses. Mm-hmm. And we often, property supplements don't tell you what the ratio is to a person's income. They just tell you how much, oh, such and such as house. And homeowners love this property porn. But for the for other people, it's actually it's a terrifying thing to see house prices go up and salaries go down. And more and more young people now are through no not not out of a will to become a millionaire, are are, are dipping their toe into self employment and more and more and are having a stab at business, not because they think Michael O'Leary is a genius and they want to be like him or they think they're the next Zuckerberg because so, so often they are leaving university going from one un- unpaid internship to another and you gotta you gotta eat do you remember when uh, when I uh, Coursey Grow I did Coursey Grow with uh, Master Alva Munachan um, okay. and uh, I remember him telling me that uh, your rent or your accommodation cost should be no more, should be between a quarter and a third of your monthly revenue, of your monthly income. Okay. Uh, and that was 1980. What was that? Let's, yeah, it was the early 90s, let's say. Okay. Um, and uh, no, and, I, and that's so good. like that's like a quarter of your, of, your, of your revenue should go to rent. And I wonder how many of us are Okay. So hypothetically, it might be somebody living. It might be somebody listening to the show now who maybe makes a mm. thousand uh, euros a month, mm-hmm. and it's unlikely they're getting a rent for two fifty. Very unlikely. It's unlikely. In fact, if <laughs> if they're making two thousand a month, I doubt they're getting it for five hundred a month. Yeah, I'd be surprised. And I, I like, I'm, I'm actually in the same boat. I work for somebody else. I'm paid quite well. Uh, but I, I live with my uh, with my wife and my, my two children and and my my wife looks after my uh, our children and uh, it's very hard to it's very hard to live yes very hard to live mm-hmm. uh, now there's other people who have it way more difficult than I do with absolutely no question but like I suppose you think um, 
I suppose you think you when you get to your forties or your 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 late thirties, mm-hmm. like that you'd be looking at a house and stuff like that, and it's it's not easy. And uh, I I can certainly ima- like, and I know myself that my when I am inspired to do uh, things for myself or to look at at work for myself, that would be one of the reasons. It's like I need to get the show on mm-hmm. the road, and and I won't be able to get the show on the road if somebody else is is paying me. I think we need to look at the way, in general, I think we need to look at the way unpaid internships and jo- jobs mm-hmm. that kind of promote experience and how mm-hmm. those things go. I think that certainly if you were given a company car, uh, you'd be expected to pay benefit in kind on it. And benefit in kind only seems to go one way, <laughs> uh, which is something I'm interested in. But the big thing, I suppose, is people want to make a living. Uh, recently, there was a great article I read and it's talking about the telling people just to you know follow their dreams uh, as, as career advice it's terrible career advice and it's while gentle. you know this doesn't mean that you know this doesn't mean that interesting work isn't worth doing or that creative pursuits aren't worth doing because they are what the big thing is if you tell people you know that work shouldn't feel like work or that money isn't important i mean that's those are two really bad lessons Hi fellow Egypts, this is Tara Flynn and if you need some background, I'm on taraflynn.ie, that's my website. But forget websites, that's so passe, am I right? Let's do a podcast. So I'm going to do a podcast for the Headstuff Podcast Network called Taranoia, which is based on my own special, peculiar brand of insecurity and fear, which I have to battle to get shit done. So for half an hour, roughly every week, maybe two a week to start, just to get us all started... I'll talk about life and love and lessons learned and maybe a bit of mad crack, like might make up some ads based on your suggestions, might answer some awkward questions or your ludicrous statements. Whatever you'd like me to do, let's do it. I'll also have some incredible guests. We've recorded a couple already and I'm looking forward to doing some more. So please follow me on Instagram. I'm not begging, just saying if you'd like to, please follow me on Instagram at IRL for updates or check out This Head Stuff at This Head Stuff on Twitter. We're launching on the 10th of September, so subscribe now wherever you get your podcast to make sure you get it as soon as it comes out. So listen, we'll see you on the 10th of September for the first one. There'll be another one a few days later. And remember, we're all Egypts, but we're all only doing our best. See you for Terranoia. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. Telling someone to follow their dream in the context of not believing that a job should feel like work ever or that because they all they will start feeling like work eventually. And the fact is the fundamental the one plus one equals two of work is that you do something you do something somebody else wants. You you receive payment for it. Uh, I have I have an apple and you have money. You want apples. I want money. I give you the apple. You give me the money. Uh, when you break down that, uh, that somehow you get into a bad place or not so much a bad place, a dangerous place. Enjoying your work does not negate the fact that it's still work. Yeah. Uh, thinking that you can just do things that come easy to you and that are not work and still be remunerated in any, in any other way, in any way or get value from anybody else for it is just foolish. It's mm-hmm. like even, yeah, you're going to always have to work hard if you want to get anywhere in life. And there's no real getting away from that. Yeah. Not that I've found anyway. Like, you know? Yeah, I guess we, we just haven't been invited to the gravy train yet. We just haven't been invited to the gravy train. The gravy train, like, I think that there's actually, there could be a gravy train. I think that, that, that there's, I think that the Irish language has value. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
both material and and metaphysical. Um, and and I think that the material value can be exploited is the wrong word. It can be used to 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 to, hmm. to create wealth in this country. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it comes around. I think a lot of it comes down to this idea of that identity is such a. Identities tend to be absolute, mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, a, a knowledge of the language or a knowledge of a language is not absolute. That is something that you can you can learn, you can improve, you can, yeah. and so that you can you can build an identity or you can build that element, um, and I think that that. Is, is interesting in of itself because mm. there's a lot of identities that people might aspire to that they cannot um mm. and uh and 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 so and and I think that again coming from those surveys about the amount of people who want to have interactions who are interested in it but just don't want any of the negative stuff and that's okay and I think that can be facilitated and I think that service providers both kind of uh people teaching courses uh booksellers um Authors, uh, event organizers. You know, I think I think that there's 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 a market there, and uh, and you know, if we can build a gravy train out of it, that'd be nice. <laughs> is there, is there a green euro? Is there a green white? <laughs> well, there's this thing, the euro Gaelic. Like, yep. I mean, and you'll very often hear, you'll see it as a hashtag on on uh, in Twitter. This idea of euro Gaelic, uh, and it's it's unfortunate. It, it, it's used at the moment to kind of uh, encourage English language companies or companies that work through the medium of English to add in processes or whatever to appeal to the Irish speaking fraternity. I, I see that more as a kind of a, there's there's a rights thing there, yeah. uh, rather than a commercial incentive. Um, fundamentally appealing to them on the basis, fundamentally appealing to any private company that they should be providing services in Irish, mm -hmm. unless you can show volume of business as a result of that, is basically appealing to a rights-based argument. And not that there's anything wrong with the rights-based argument, but that's not how commercial companies Go, work. yeah. Go. So any activity you see by a private company that, uh, based around the Irish language, there it's only been done for the bottom line. That's it. Yeah. Um, but I see it the other way. I don't see the Euro Gaelic as Irish speakers giving money to English medium companies. Yeah. I see it the other way. I see Irish speakers providing value uh or even English language companies providing values to satisfy that uh, unmet need or that un unsatisfied need at the top of Maslow's pyramid, like of self-actualization, self-realization, mm -hmm. and that that is around the Irish language and, and appealing to an identity. And, and that's where I see the Euro Gaelic. I, I, I don't see it as money from Eng Irish speakers to English speakers. I actually see it as money from English speakers to Irish speakers. Damn right. Take it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're not going to give it back, we're going to take it back. <laughs> so um, I was thinking about two other minority languages recently in the context mm. of just um, business minority languages or just the, the economics and minority languages and our friends in Catalonia and our friends in Wales um, mm -hmm. are, are seen as two of the very high-performing minority languages. Mm -hmm. And obviously Catalonia is a very wealthy part of Spain, of the Spanish peninsula, the Iberian peninsula. Mm -hmm. It's still Spain for now, but um, for now, for now, but um, there, there is obviously old. There's some old money in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. There is there are some Catalan speaking um, 
family businesses where and you would have some some heirs and heiresses and venture capital um which is available which 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 is which is held by cattle cattle mm-hmm. land speakers and similarly wales would have I mean, wales is different from the other um minority languages on these islands um because possibly yes there has maybe there was there is some in south wales anyway there is there was some money knocking around mm-hmm. whether that was always the welsh speaking part but um is is there a connection or not between um, their success, the success of these two, and the relative prosperity of these places, or the prosperity of individual speakers of these languages, I think my understanding, uh, my understanding of both of those languages, that they were that they never, uh, that they never became as minority languages within their own communities as Irish has mm-hmm. in Ireland. Uh, so that they started from a kind of a, or that they never retreated to a, as low a base as 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 we had, the um, the 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 language in Ireland is 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 mainly found on the west coast due to not not due to some ideological factor of people on the on the west coast and not necessarily it is it is there it, the reason that it has survived is because it is geologically or geographically remote. Yeah. That is a big reason. It's not the only reason, but it's a big reason. Um, Neither in Wales nor in in, in Catalonia is that really the case. You've had urban areas, well, especially in Catalonia, like that have retained that, that Catalan language, that have retained the language. Um, I suppose I look at. Uh, I know that you did an episode which I haven't listened to yet. The Tereo or Tereo, te, yeah. Tereo, 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 uh, and and I think that that is maybe more of a comparable case, like in terms of in terms of coming. Um, maybe that that speaks to my self perception, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I see that as coming from a position of weakness and then rising as opposed to never actually dipping down that weak. I know um, if Ireland ended up or if Ireland had a wealthy Gaelic-speaking class mm-hmm. and had it ever had or had it, you know, at the foundation of the state or maybe 50 years previously, had there been a wealthy Gaelic-speaking class, would we be where we are today? No, probably not. Like, And mm-hmm. I do think that there's a, there must be a strong connection there. Yeah, if Arthur Guinness spoke Irish the way the Chubba Chubbs family speaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speak Catalan. Yeah. I, I'm sure the consumption of Chubba Chubbs lollies in Barcelona is much lower than the consumption of Guinness here. Oh God, you've got me there. I don't know. I'm don't know. I wouldn't speak ball here. I, wouldn't, like, I mean, like, do people go out and have six chubba chub lollies overnight? I'm only going out for the one. <laughs> Your mouth's covered. And before we wrap up, mm-hmm. where do you see next? What do you see as the next kind of sector that you think um, has an untapped Gaelic Gaelga aspect? Irish language insurance. Do you think <laughs> no. are, are we safe for drivers? No. I mean, I think uh, mm, the next sector. I tell you what hasn't like the the tours. I work in I work in tourism. I run a uh, at the moment. I am the general manager of Jacobs Hostel in uh, on Tablet Place there in the corner from Store Street, and I come across. We have you know four hundred customers uh, mm. or guests most most nights. 
um, and I see to some extent how they see the Irish language or they, they speak to me very often about the Irish language uh, and they, they wonder why things are in science but nobody speaks it they, and I think that there's a gap there there's something I mean you have the kind of the Matthew McConaughey sending his kids to the Gaeltacht thing and, and whatever else but I think that there is um, there's something culturally interesting about uh, a separate language and a distinct language I, I and again when we go back to this idea of the macro maybe being uh, being important as well, like, and that maybe our understanding of the macro isn't as good as as, an, as somebody from the outside. I, I know that, especially on the continent, Spanish, French, Germans, they're 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 really obsessed with uh, this idea of of, and I'm going to say the c word, of 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 Celtic culture and Celtic languages and oh, yeah. and all of that. My apologies to Celtic scholars or non-Celtic scholars or whatever, but they are obsessed with it one way or the other. They are obsessed with our historical lineage or historical past, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think the Irish language is a big part of that. And I don't think it has to be very, very complex. But I think that appealing to tourists and selling tourists the Irish language is definitely something that we haven't done properly. There was, um, I think it was Bluck or Mulchgale yesterday had a, 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 a piece from the 1980s in Sikharurua. Uh, about tourists and um, people from overseas coming over to study Irish for a block week or, or two weeks. And they were saying that it was sold out and that uh, interest was unprecedented. That was 1984. Yeah. You think we would have kind of taken the hint? Yeah. And it seems that we haven't. Like It seems that our worry about it and our self-perception of it stops us selling it or pushing it out. Yeah, well... Um yeah, I think there's there's a there's a there's a story that needs to be told about the Irish language in the eighties and the nineties. Uh, that maybe needs to will definitely deserve its own episode. Okay. Well, each, but I'll definitely look forward to that. And before we go, do you want to tell us about Beg Rash? Beg Rash, yes, myself and Sinead Neulachan were lucky enough to be paired up together, uh, and we did a series where we travelled. Uh, we did six episodes, thirty-two locations where we travelled around Ireland, looking at uh, undiscovered or un. Um, yeah, undiscovered or lesser-known tourist spots around the country. Uh, I had an absolute ball. We had to fit it in. I was doing an MBA at the time, and Sinead's quite busy as well, so we had to fit in the filming. I think we drove the production company mad. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I had an absolute ball. The highlight, I think, would have been um, um, Blaskets. I went out mm-hmm. to Blasket Moor, uh, you know, home of Peg. Actually, while we're on that... yeah. So, <laughs> Peg lived out on, on the Blaskets, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and at the moment, like, you know, hundreds of tourists go over visit. Uh, there's a, a cottage there that is uh, run by, uh, by by two lads, and they, they it is Peg's house. And the, at the, when, when we got there for Baymere Ash, the, 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 the lads were running it as a hostel. So, with, like, high volume, low rate, difficult, lot of moving parts... And my mind just blew up. Like I was like, this should not be high rate or low rate, high volume. This should be high rate, low volume. Yeah. Low impact on the environment. If you want to come and if you want to be here, there's the, you know, you don't have to pay for it. 
Um, and they they wanted something like and and the idea was that this should be all very minimal. It should it should reflect Peg's life austere, humble, etc. Mm. And people will pay a fortune for this type of experience. Experience. And when you add in that it's not just a cottage on an island in a desolate place, it is Peg Sayre's cottage. Mm-hmm. And everything that comes out of that, like, and then you have the diaspora who might be interested in that. So there's so many things around that. And so Bay Mayor Ash gave me an opportunity to travel around various different places, but that was the place where I, uh, there, there was an, well, I wouldn't say it was an epiphany, but it was the end of maybe an epiphany. It was the, it was the, it was the, the, the chorus or whatever like that. It was there, um, there's opportunities here. There's opportunities all over the country, not only with the Irish language, but loads of things that we maybe know about ourselves, but that we just aren't confident enough to promote. Well, for now, that, that, that may very well be changing as we speak. Oscar, Akira, thank you so much for coming on today. Good to meet you, there. Okay, so it's a slant from me. August Slán Wemsa. Catch you next time. Hey, hey, Derek here. And Garodian here. We just want to tell you about the Dublin Podcast Festival, which is coming this autumn. We're going to be doing a live show at the Sugar Club on the 10th of October. We're going to do an hour-long special on satire from the old medieval times up to the present day. And we're going to be doing a collaboration with the Irish History Podcast. They're going to be there too, so we're going to have a lot of fun. You can buy tickets now at Ticketmaster. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> or yes, or even look up, look up DublinPodcastFestival.ie. Will you be joined by some of your mother folklore regulars, such as myself and Emer Duffy? And Patter. Oh yeah, okay, that guy like, as well. That guy as well. So <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun and we can't wait to see you there. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. They are... They're far more damaging than Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Uh, yes. Because we all know Santa Claus can really punish you really badly. It's like, uh, cut that, Brian. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>